What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Puck Pod. Welcome back to the hockey season. It's been a long four months, but we're excited to be back. My name is Daniel Fritz, and uh, joining me is a different voice today. We'll get to that in a second. Nick Mussarino, my normal co-host, is unavailable today due to scheduling issues, but rest assured he'll be back for the remainder of the rest of the hockey season and on to next season. But joining me today is a special guest, a very good old friend of mine by the name of Zach Robertson. Zach, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, man. I'm glad to have you on. We've been talking about this for a while. And, you know, like I said, with the scheduling issues, we were able to make this happen. Hopefully we can get you on some other times during the season as well. I know you're a, a diehard hockey fan like me and you have some good opinions. So I'm curious to see what comes out of that mouth. Yeah, it's uh, definitely should be interesting. I think, uh, you know, I, I might have kind of a different take because I came into hockey really kind of later in life and uh, kind of from from a work angle. So I, I think I kind of look at things in an interesting way. So makes it makes it enjoyable to go back and forth with you as somebody who's, who's just been involved in it since they were a little guy. So, well, I have a, I have a theory that I've, I've voiced many times that, you know, players who are generally pretty bad at hockey, you know, you, me included, especially like with the raw skills, um, they have to think of the game in a different way, a little bit more cerebrally uh, as opposed to just having, like I said, the raw skills. And that's, I think where you and I, and even Moose, if he was here, he would agree as well. It's something that we succeed in and we see, we see the game in a whole different way. And I think that, that provides, you know, another aspect of the game for viewers who maybe don't see it the same way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I, um, you know, through, through work and stuff, you know, I work, I work in that kind of environment as well to where I'm constantly watching guys play and, and kind of seeing what level they're at and analyzing where they are. So, you know, I, I, I would agree with that. You know, it gives you a different perspective on the game, um, even almost outside what you'd see with a coach because the coach is looking to be uh, critically to critically analyze, whereas we're looking at it just as to to see what's really going on. And I think that that's, uh, it's definitely an interesting perspective. So it, it should be fun to get into this. Never done anything like this before. So, so should be, should be a good ride here. Well, good. Yeah. We're not exactly professional, so uh, I'm, sure you'll do, I'm sure you'll fit in well. So like I said, it, it's been a long four months uh, during the COVID shutdown, you know, uh, all the sports leagues were closed down and some of them are starting to come back. And, and one of them is hockey, which we're going to be talking about. Uh, the upcoming return to play plan, the NHL put out uh, four phases, basically, of the return to play over the last month or so. Uh, they're currently in phase four, which is the beginning of the 24-team tournament competing for the Stanley Cup. So we're going to get into the previews for each conference, the Western Conference and then the Eastern Conference. So just to give everyone a heads up about um, how the playoffs are going to go, this week, actually starting today, we're recording this Saturday morning. Uh, they're going to start doing the round robin as well as the qualifying round. So the top four teams in each conference uh, get a bye essentially, and they're just going to play in a round robin series to determine who is seated one through four when the playoffs begin uh, in a week or two. I don't remember the date. While the remaining uh, eight teams from the East Conference and the West Conference are going to play in a best of five series, and we'll go through each of those series so you have more detail. But essentially – out of those top four teams in the, the remaining four series is going to determine the one through eight round that begins the regular playoffs. Just like any other year, there's going to be best of seven series to determine Stanley Cup. But uh, just to begin, we're doing the qualifying round and the round robin. So let's just get right into it. Let's, um, let's get right into the Eastern Conference to begin with. So the top four teams through the regular season, the shortened regular season uh, in the Eastern Conference with the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Boston Bruins, the Washington Capitals, and the Philadelphia Flyers. So like I said, each of those teams is going to play the other teams uh, in three games to determine the seeding one through four when we get to the first round of the playoffs in a couple of weeks. 
Then the remaining series will go through Pittsburgh versus Montreal, Carolina versus the New York Rangers, the Florida Panthers versus the New York Islanders, and the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Columbus Blue Jackets. So we'll start with the top four teams. Uh, we'll start with my Tampa Bay Lightning, as always. Um, they're going to play against the Bruins, the Capitals, and the Flyers over the next week or so. They finished second in the Atlantic with 43 wins, uh, just like they have in the last couple of years. One of the most electrifying offenses, one of the deepest rosters. Uh, I know that I have my bias, but uh, Moose and I have talked about it in the past, and I think Zach may agree. Just one of the best structured teams in the league. No, oh, absolutely. You know, they're they're um, they're always strong. You know, it's it's just about how much they can they can make that push. Um, you know, in the postseason, they're they're an absolute ball to watch. They play the right kind of hockey. You know, they're 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 a good outfit. Um, there's yeah, there's there's no way around that. They're they're a good program for sure. And we know what they did last season when they went, you know, they set the NHL win record, 124 points, 62 wins, and all stuff like that. But, you know, the case could be even made, at least in my opinion, that they're a better roster this season. They added some depth defense and Luke Shen and Zach Bogosian and the return, the healthy return of Victor Hedman, Ryan McDonough. And we're going to talk about a bunch of the teams who may benefit from having four months off in a, a bit of a twisted way, obviously. We wish it was better circumstances, but with the way that it is, the Lightning had Steven Stamkos injured, who's probably going to come back for the round robin, if not the playoffs, and Victor Hedman, who's dealing with some personal stuff, but he should be available. But um, yeah, definitely a, a great roster to look at, and the top line specifically, I don't know if you got to watch the exhibition game, but the, the combination of Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov was just absolutely electric. One of the, the fastest duos in the league, and they play at such a high level too, which is so great their feet can go to a certain speed and their their brain will match it i heard that um brain point during the regular season had some he had some off-season hip surgery and so he was not even at 100 percent. we could see him flying around the ice he wasn't even completely healthy now he's had four months to reheal and to train the way he wants and uh, he's a real force to be reckoned with yeah absolutely i mean also to to note um because for some reason i i feel like he might have been missed there uh you know, the addition of, of, of McElhinney behind Vassy as well, you know, if, if they need to to utilize him, you know, he's he's proven his worth in the last couple of years. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a solid, solid backup. And, um, you know, Tampa's run into that a couple of times. If you look over the past, you know, five, six, seven years where they've they've run into goalie issues in the playoffs and or injuries, you know, particularly when they had Bishop. And, um, you know, now I think they might be feeling more comfortable – in that regard, they have, you know, a, a solid proven backup that has even last year, you know, proven himself in the playoffs as well. So, you know, they got a solid goaltender there. Yeah, they uh, actually added like six goalies in the offseason all the way up to like Scott Wedgwood and Mike Condon. It yeah. was really funny to watch. Um, something I'm, I'm a little bit weary of with the Lightning is um, they got a bit lucky during the season. They were kind of an average play driving team, just slightly above average. They really thrived off the top end scoring talent and Vasilevsky and net. And we've seen Vasty have his ups and downs. Um, I think if I was to put my money on it, I think they'll both be successful, that being the, the scoring and the goaltending. But compared to some of these other teams, especially in the top four, um, not exactly the best play driving underlying stats. So be keeping an eye on that during the, the, the round robin. I think they'll be hungry, though, as well, you know, especially kind of, you know, not to, to bring up a sore spot for you. But, but uh, after what happened last year, you know, I think that uh, – They'll be they'll be hungry, uh, you know, to to prove that that you know last year was a fluke and 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 not the beginning of of uh, you know some some postseason struggles that that will continue for them. 
Yeah, I don't even know what you're referring to. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, the team who finished first in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Bruins. Um, the Lightning and the Bruins, as well as other teams, actually, have had their issues with the, the Bruins in the past. So they've had their rivalry. So let's get into them. We know similar to the Lightning, they have an electrifying top line. In my opinion, the, the best top line in the Eastern Conference. I know that Colorado has something to say about that in the <laughs> West. But um, what do you like about the Bruins? You know, they're uh, the Bruins are the Bruins. You know, they're they're very rarely do they seem, at least you know, in in uh, recent times, very rarely do they seem to to not be right there and and kind of in the conversation. You know, and especially lately with you know guys like Pasternak, you know, they they they're they're getting better again, which is a scary thought. You know, for for a lot of guys in the East, um, because like I said, they're they're always right there. So the uh, the more that the more they pick up, the more they you know keep going. They're they're going to be a problem for for a lot of people. Um, you know, I think that this season specifically, you know, I I think they're very good, but I think they're right there. You know, the top four in the East are all pretty close to each other. So you know, I think it's going to be going to be an interesting battle. Um, you know, Rask is is always big behind them. You know, uh, Yarrow's always always big behind whoever he's behind because he's a you know borderline starter at this point. So right. Um, you know, they've, they've got uh, a, a good squad there for sure. Yeah, Rask and Halak, to me, uh, they represent the, the, best top, the best tandem in the top four teams. Um, I, I know yeah, we I talked about Vassy and McElhaney, but, you know, like you said, Yaroslav Halak could be a starter for most teams. And Yeah, exactly. Granted, you know, in, a, in a, a condensed playoffs like this, that may, you know, not be as effective as in previous years. But nevertheless, you know, We've seen in the past how goaltending can be so crucial during a season and the playoffs. It's gotten coaches fired. It's gotten coaches the Jack Adams. It's, you know, led to Stanley Cup wins. So having two guys who could fill the role with no problem, uh, that's really a key. And we'll talk about that with Washington. They're having an issue there. Yeah. But um, I, th I think there's an intangible that doesn't really get mentioned about the Bruins, especially in the playoffs, is, you know, we, we see in the playoffs that kind of the whistles get put away and, you know, sometimes I have my qualms about that, but nevertheless, it is a fact that, you know, the referees will let the boys play a little more, let them kind of police the game. And the Bruins, you know, as a thorn in the side that they are to everybody, they've gotten to be pretty effective at kind of finding the line each game, speaking to you, Brad Marchand, but kind of mm -hmm. finding that line where you can really piss off the other team, but not necessarily take a whole bunch of penalties. And I think that will be effective if they can draw an extra penalty or two each game. And we know they have one of the best power plays in the league basically led by that top line that we were just talking about. So I think that's something that's going to really be a factor in some of these games, especially just these first three games. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and I think that that's been part of the, the, you know, that's part of the Boston, Boston Bruins culture. You know, they bring guys in and you'll see good players go there that, that don't stick, you know, you kind of have to bleed the black and yellow to be an effective player there. And, and that's just, that's, you know, like I said, it's part of their culture. It's what they do. You think even back to, you know, the last couple uh, uh, cups they pulled in and, you know, guy like guy like Tim Thomas, you know, when it goes all the way to the goalie, mm -hmm. uh, that's that's willing to toe that line and 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 really put it out there. Uh, you know, I think that that uh, that's a big part of the 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 squad mentality in Boston. And you're right. They're great at finding the line and and and, and not really letting it boil over um, until the other team does. And then and then they, you know, handle it however they need to. So. Um, yeah, I mean, especially in this condensed format, you know, you might be looking at it being a, a bit more light and free even, uh, you know, from the officials just to, uh, 
you know, get everything going and, and, and it could be, it could develop into something interesting for sure. It could be an advantage for them in a big way. Another advantage they have is, is their defense score, which is uh, pretty well known around the league. They use their physicality and they're led by um, Zidane Chara, who is still somehow out there playing some top defense uh, at the age of 40 or 42 or 70, how, however old he is. But uh, they were one of the, they were one of the top five expected goals against teams. So they really showed that they have, a solid team defense with their physicality, with their structure. You know, their, their, their leader, uh, Patrice Bergeron, is pretty much one of the best uh, every single season. He was voted again as a nominee for the Selkie Trophy for the best defensive forward for good reason. You know, he's, he's their leader. He's great in the corners. He's great in face-offs. So they like to follow those two big horses, Bergeron and Chara, and it's really effective in their own defensive zone. Really, they give up so few high danger chances against, and even when they do, we talked about Rask and Halak, they're always there to swallow it up. And especially with Rask having been with the team for however many years, it feels like a decade now since you know, Tim Thomas left and Tuka yeah. Rask took over, but he's built up such a good rapport with his defense and with his coaching staff that he, you know, he kind of understands where some of his vulnerabilities are and some of his defensemen's vulnerabilities are. And he can kind of think ahead of that. He's a very cerebral, very smart goalie. And, and he's able to kind of, work as basically part of the five-man unit yeah and it, it, it's a big thing on the on the back end to have a, a goalie and a, a defensive stalwart like like chara to to have them around for such a long time and to be able to build you know to be able to build around them you know there there's there's something to that as well so you know boston's defense is definitely not something not something to be to be looked over in a huge way especially in um you know, series like this where, where stuff's going to come down to cohesion and, um, you know, instinct more than, more than anything else. It's going to be hard to, to change plans and with the game so tight together. So it's going to be interesting. And the defense very offensively minded too. We, we've seen the speed of, you know, um, Charlie McAvoy, Matt Grizzlick, Brandon Carlos, a great puck mover. So really the, they're one of the best cores at, uh, you know, working both ends of the puck. Let's move on to the, the Washington Capitals. They finished first in the Metropolitan, 41 wins this year. A pretty good season. They started off red hot, and the guy who really led them right out of the gate was John Carlson, who was uh, nominated for the Norris Trophy for best defenseman in the league. Uh, he leads his team in points, which is pretty rare, especially on a team consisting of Alex Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom, Evgeny Kuznetsov. But uh, John Carlson had a great season. So did the Capitals. What do you like about them? You know, They've, you know, over and over again, the last couple of years, you know, the Capitals have proven, uh, you know, obviously with the, with the cup, when they finally kind of shook that monkey off their back of, of not being able to do anything in the postseason, but, you know, regular season, they're, they're always monstrous in, in the Metro and, and uh, you know, they've kind of crafted a rivalry with so many different teams. You know, we're watching uh, that Washington Carolina matchup the other day and you're thinking, Oh, they're playing Carolina you know, okay, maybe it's one season of rivalry, what have you, but everyone else is, they're, they're everyone's rival's rival in, you know, not just in the Metro, but kind of, kind of in the East. And, and that's an interesting thing, you know, whether you're talking about Tampa, Boston, Pittsburgh, Philly, like everybody's got a bone to pick with Washington. There's a reason for that. You know, they're, they're, they're a good team. They always play well. They've got massive offensive talent. Uh, and as, as you just said, even this season coming from their defense, you know, so, uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna rain down on you in a big way, and uh, they're gonna use kind of that brute force, you know. They they just put everything downrange. Everything's coming in hot, whether it's from Kuznetsov or Ovi or Carlson. 
And then if you don't like it, you're, you're going to get bruised and battered going out the door, you know? So they, they definitely, uh, definitely a force. Yeah, they historically are, especially on paper. And even with the, uh, the small addition of Ilya Kovalchuk, who at 36 doesn't have exactly the same power that he used to, but he's still very offensively gifted, very offensively minded. And I think he's going to end up getting third line minutes, which is going to be a pretty big factor for him. Limited ice time. Again, he's getting up there in age, so don't want to put much strain on the body. And I think he's going to have some great impact on that bottom six, which, you know, theoretically doesn't have the, the most scoring touch, but they do now – you know, they, they didn't really end the season too well, and that's a big weakness that I see for the Capitals. Granted, it's been four months, and who knows how well to translate, translate over, but they only had four regulation wins in their last 15 games for a team that started off red hot, that led the Metro. People forget the, the Flyers were right up on their tail coming down the stretch at the end of the season, coming to take over that number one spot in the Metro, and the Caps really had no answer for it. Even the Caps broadcast was, was saying – yeah, if the season had gone full 82 games, there's pretty much no way that the Capitals would have finished first. So even if they're recognizing that on their own team, it's kind of a, a tough sign. Yeah, would have been – go ahead. I was just going to say, it would have been, been hard to stop that skid for sure. That was a, that was a big one for them there at the end. And uh, you're right, they had, a, they had uh, the Flyers just breathing down their necks. And, and you know, we'll, we'll get to that later on. But mm-hmm. the Flyers looked hot there. And, and, you know, you're right. I don't think Washington had an answer for them. You know, especially with um, kind of the way the we talked about the offense there, but kind of the way the defense was was just not really there. You know, mm-hmm. um, they were they were struggling there. Uh, Hopey was struggling a good bit. Um, you know, there's there's definitely definitely some issues to be resolved. But you know, they've had three months to do that. So if they uh, three four months to do that, so if they can, you know, if they if they've gotten some of those those kinks straightened out, you know, they they could definitely be an issue. Um, but if they haven't, you know, they might, they might be in for a ride here. Yeah. They definitely have the ability to just go on a complete run. And you mentioned Brayden Holpe and he's the biggest X factor for me because yeah, he, he was really not good this season and he basically lost the starting job to the young kid, Ilya Samsonov who came in from Russia. And um, he apparently had some major injury during the break, apparently an off ice injury who knows what was going on out in Russia, but he didn't even make the trip to the States with the, or I should say the North America with the team. So the whole thing is relying on Braden Holpe, who had a sub 900 save percentage. He was third worst and goal save above average. He's really been on a bit of a decline since the cup win. And he's got a lot of hockey miles on him. So it's understandable, but without that solid, you know, backup, I guess, Samsonov, he was called the backup because of the name that Braden Holpe is and what he, the pedigree he has for, you know, legitimate reasons. But Many people are saying it would have been Samsonov and Ned start playoff time, but he's not available. It all falls on Holpe. The only thing I will say about him in an optimistic light is that it is a contract year for him. And I mentioned Samsonov, who is probably going to be the starter next year. And, you know, the Caps with a significant cap crunch may not be inclined to keep Braden Holpe around. So he's really playing for a contract this season for some teams around the league. And that's really some big motivation for guys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, you, you know, and, and with that on his back, you could definitely potentially see something big out of Hopi here, but you know, like you said, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to be the big difference maker for them. It's, it's going to come down to how well he can hold his own between the pipes. Let's move on to the Flyers. We, we kind of mentioned them a couple of times. They're one of the more intriguing teams, especially in the Eastern conference. They're relatively underrated and underappreciated for some reason. Maybe it's because they're a, a young scrappy team or they haven't been around as long as the Bruins and the Capitals and Lightning have been at the top, but they had a really strong season, especially the back half. 
They finished second in the Metro. They had about a month worth of time where they were just uh, engulfing teams up the playoff charts. They, they were in the middle of the pack in the Metropolitan, and they really just went on a tear winning consecutive games, and they made it all the way to the second. Like I said, they had a very good chance at being the number one spot, um, if not for the shutdown. But they were the best team in the NHL the last 25 games, which to me is a very important factor when it's coming into playoffs. Granted, I, I totally understand it's been four months for all these teams, but they won 18 out of 25. They had a nine-game winning streak, plus 20 goal differential over 25 games. Yeah, I mean, these are really, really dangerous numbers if you're kind of looking across the ice at these guys. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they uh, – like you said, they picked it up big there at the end of the season and and not for nothing, but, you know, there's there's something to be said that they maybe could have, you know, picked it up before that. They've got a, they've got a really solid roster this season. You know, I think maybe their their weaker spots might be on the back end, like we talked about with uh, with Washington. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, on paper they've got a great squad. They've had a great squad for a couple of years, and I think they're finally starting to see it come together. You know. Yeah, and one of the guys, you know, a really unfortunate omission for them has been Nolan Patrick all season long, a first round pick from them a few years ago. He's had some really severe migraine disorders. And he's missed the entire season, won't be back for playoffs, even with the long layoff. So they're going to miss him. But certainly one of the, the deepest groups in these top four, especially when it comes to centermen. Uh, that second line with Kevin Hayes and Travis Konechny, they developed some really good chemistry throughout the season. Uh, Konechny nearly you know, got offer sheeted in the summer, and Kevin Hayes brought in as a free agent. So it took some time for them to come together, but they're you know one of the most dynamic duos in this top four. So I, I really – like. They have a lot of, of grittiness, and I hate saying that word, especially when that's their mascot, but <laughs> they really do just kind of find a way to win, and that's kind of a, a cliche that hockey people say a lot, just find a way, but that really is what they do, whether it's offense from their defense, whether Carter Hart steals a game, even though I have my issues with him, or some of their top guys, Claude Giroux, Jake Borachek, Kevin Hayes. It seems like one way or another, they're going to kind of just battle their way through, not necessarily physically, like in the Broad Street Bullies aspect, they have that ability, but they're becoming more of a skilled team, especially with Alain Vigneault with the helm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they, they definitely have that, uh, you know, the Flyers as an organization definitely have that pedigree, that association with the, the old school Flyers, the Broad Street Bullies. But you're right, they've, they've started to evolve a bit. And I think that that's been a big, big part of their change. Um, and, and as they start to come together with these new players they have in, in this new unit, you know, they've, they've become uh, a very, very fast team. You know, when they, when they break out of the zone, they're, they're monstrous. And that's something that uh, I feel like has been part of this unit coming together and, and figuring that out. You know, their, their defense tends to be involved. Um, and then going back the other way, you know, they, they tend to just kind of, you know, shut teams down in their zone. They really kind of take everything away. And, and, and that's a big part of it. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, there might be a weak spot there, as we talked about with Washington, with, with their starter, with Carter Hart. You know, he's, he's, when he's on, you know, he's, he's a game changer, but he's been fairly inconsistent this season. And, um, you know, that's, that's, I think that's a bit of a worry for them. You know, they've got Brian Elliott behind him, and, and he's getting up there. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't seen a ton out of Brian Elliott the last, you know, this past season. And um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But I think, you know, you're looking at a similar situation to Washington where, you know, the goaltender could make all the difference for them. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I will say that Carter Hart finished the last 10 games with a 931 save percentage. So maybe he can kind of translate some of that. Take some confidence out of the last 10 games, kind of let it soak in your mind and then take it forward into the playoffs. But yeah, he's definitely going to be their biggest X factor. And, you know, you mentioned their quick breakouts, and that's something I wanted to, to touch on because watching them play, it's, it's really, really exciting because as soon as their defensemen get the puck, their forwards just shoot out of the zone, basically flying through their blue line. And their defensemen are so effective at making these breakout passes or just getting it out themselves. And that's kind of an asset that not a lot of teams have. Most teams have, you know, either or. Either their defensemen are good at skating or they're really good at finding forwards. So the fact that, you know, the Flyers have guys like Provorov, Sandheim, Gostaspare, who can really fire the puck and can really skate with it as well, I think that's, um, that's going to be a big difference maker as well for some forechecking teams who really are going to have fits trying to turn it over against these uh, Flyers defensemen. Yeah, absolutely. So out of these top four, do you want to give me a ranking? What do you th- how do you think they're going to end up after these three games? I don't know. You know, I think, I think some bias will come into that just because it's, it's such a close call. I think, you know, I, like we said with, with most of the teams, I think it's going to come down to one factor or another. Um, I, I would, I would think looking at it and this is kind of a big one for me, but I'm not sure on the one, two, but I don't really want to put a number on it, but I'm, I think kind of almost the order we talked about, um, the order we talked about the teams, except I think I'd put Philly above Washington. So you like basically Tampa, Boston as a, a toss up and then Philly, then Washington. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I tend to agree with you. Uh, I, to be honest, you know, admitting my own bias, I think that the Bruins have a, a better chance at taking that top spot just because of the electrifying star power that they have and the, the solid goaltending. I've had my issues with, with Vasilevsky's inconsistency over a while, and I, I really don't have many with Rask. Maybe it's because I don't watch him as often, but right. um, I, I would, you know, I do like the coin toss analogy. I'd call it like 60-40% that the Bruins. Yeah, I'd give you that. Lightning, I'd give you that. Like that. Because I don't want Lightning fans yelling at me. Calling me <laughs> and then I leave. I move away, and suddenly I hate the team. But I think that um, because it's such a strange setup, this is such a weird time, especially for hockey, you're right. Like one or two puck bounces, one power play, one, you know, a goalie wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and they have a bad game. That's going to be really impactful, especially Absolutely. when it comes to the bottom teams, because I think these top four teams are pretty deep. They're pretty structured that they can kind of, you know, they can take on any kind of hits like that and, and just take it in stride. But when we get to some of these bottom eight teams, I think a lot of them have some really big flaws and, and a couple of bounces could go their, not their way. And this is going to be a chaotic time because there's going to be three or four games in one building at one time. And you've worked your fair share of, of hockey arenas. So it's, it's really going to be an issue of how good is the ice? You know, how effective is, how is everyone going to fit in this bubble and, it's going to be so chaotic. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a, um, a different dynamic to the whole thing now, given the, the bubble situation and, and the fact that everyone's, sh- you know, sharing one of a couple of buildings, you know, kind of one for practice and one for games and all that kind of stuff. Um, you're looking at uh, uh, something interesting there. And, and you're right. I mean, I think the hats are going to be off, you know, to the, the guys at the facilities, you know, whether it's the, the big arenas are the practice facilities because that's tough, you know, to, to put, to put ice together and to, to keep everything running at the level it needs to be for NHL caliber players, uh, you know, back to back to back all day, every day, like that's, that's a tough thing to do. So 
you know, you're going to see, you might see some wear and tear there, but I would highly doubt it. You know, those, those operations at that level are, are, are finely oiled machines and I'm sure they've brought in extra help as well, uh, you know, from around the league just to make sure that, you know, things can stay up to snuff. So that'll, that's kind of a cool aspect of this whole thing is kind of seeing the league come together to, to get everything done. Um, you know, there is an interesting aspect, which I was, I was going to touch on a bit uh, later on once we've covered a bit more, um, but, and I'll, I'll circle back to it then, but I think everyone being in the bubble is going to lead to some interesting, interesting dynamics, whether, you know, between teams or between players that could go one way or the other and, and have some effects. But I'll touch on that once we get a little bit further into, uh, you know, what we're looking at here. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get into that. Let's talk about these qualifying round series. As I mentioned at the top, uh, each conference is going to have four best of five series. So first to three between the bottom eight teams from numbers five through 12. So let's, we'll go series by series. Uh, talk about the teams like we did just with the top four, and then we'll uh, try to give a prediction at the end of each one. So uh, the first one we'll go into is the number five seed Pittsburgh taking on the number 12 seed Montreal. And for my money, it's one of the more lopsided matchups, especially on paper. And when you think about the pedigree that the Penguins have and the horrible injuries that they had all year, I think they had the most man games lost all season. The fact that they're all healthy, they're all rested, they're all hungry. They're going against a Montreal team who – People may remember they were sellers at the deadline and they didn't have a lot to sell, but they, they lost defenseman Marco Scandella and they lost forwards Ilya Kovalchuk, Nate Thompson, and Nick Suzuki. Those are guys that they're really going to miss. Uh, they don't have the most impacts, but just kind of the, the notion that a team sold at the deadline and then, oh, wait, all of a sudden they're supposed to take on uh, the back-to-back Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pittsburgh, a healthy Pittsburgh is a scary team. And that's that's been true for, for a long time, you know. And, and the fact that they, you know, they're one of these teams that are that are benefiting, like you said, from the break a bit. And and the fact that Montreal's got to walk in and, and deal with that, I think, is just, yeah, it's tough. You know, I, I think I, and I don't want to speak too far out here, but I think I, like most people, uh, and like Montreal, didn't think they were going to make the playoffs, you know? So, you know, they, they tried to uh, uh, recoup a bit there, like you said, selling, selling at the deadline. And I think that's going to hurt them. You know, I think that they've got some guys that can play for sure. There's no doubt about that, but I don't know that they're a match for, for a a fully armed Pittsburgh squad. Yeah. And um, a lot of the reliance is going to fall on Carey Price who, you know, people still have this glorified image of him from, you know, four or five years ago when he had that crazy season. He won, what was it, the Hart, the Vesna, and uh, the Jennings, I think. He won like three or four trophies all in one season, which is unheard of for goalies. And, you know, he had his runs with Team Canada, especially at the World Cup. But he has significantly dropped off in the last few years. And uh, I think that his defense is really going to hang him out to dry. And it's just uh, again, I, I don't really see too much optimism from Montreal side, unfortunately. It's good that they got here, but um, yeah, they weren't really expecting it, were they? No, they they definitely weren't, you know, and I think, um, you know, you go back, you look at the end of that season there, and they were, what, a couple of games away, one game away even maybe from being overtaken by Florida, and, yeah. you know, they they definitely were, were in a tough spot there at the end of the season. Could they have rebounded? Possibly, you know, but... Um, they're, they're definitely in a tough spot now. You look at, I mean, they have some veteran leadership. You look at a guy like, like Weber, who definitely knows how to, how to handle the blue line, um, 
you know, whether or not he's still at the level he was is, a, you know, that's a question. But, yeah, I, I think that the, they're, they're going to struggle there. And, and you're right. I think price is going to be a factor. And I don't know that, you know, price has that. I don't know that he can withstand the onslaught of, of Pittsburgh by himself. Yeah, he's usually on those Team Canada teams where they're providing the onslaught. Now he's going to be taking it the opposite way. It's going to be unfamiliar right. territory to him. Let's, let's be a little more optimistic. Let's talk about Pittsburgh because you mentioned a healthy Pittsburgh team is very dangerous, not to be slept on. They could have really made a significant push for one of the top four spots had they been healthy all season. You look at guys like Crosby and Malkin who only played you know 50-so games, missing 10, 20, 30 games during the season. But now they're all healthy, they're all rested, and they're finally hopefully going to put it all together. One of the best top nines in the league, when you look at additions like Alex Galchenyuk, to kind of round out that bottom six, that third line. So not only for this round against Montreal, but I think a lot of teams need to be on alert for this Pittsburgh Penguins team. Absolutely. I think, uh, again, you know, this seems to be a, maybe a consistent problem here in the Metro, but like we talked about with Washington and, and Philly, I think Pittsburgh's weak spot might again be their goaltending. You know, um, you know, Matt Murray has the playoff pedigree. He's obviously won some big games. He's won himself, you know, some trophies, but uh you know, he's also been, you know, he's shown that he's inconsistent. I mean, he's a goaltender whose glove hand has turned into a meme, and that's, you know, that's a problem. Um, and then you've got, uh, you know, Twist and Jerry, who who is not quite proven there yet. He's looked fairly strong this season when he's played. You know, he's a, he's a good goaltender, don't get me wrong, but, you know, he's going to be tested. You know, like you said, they might – they might uh, – make quick work of Montreal, but after that, they're going to have some tough competition. There are teams that are chock full of shooters and their goalies have to be able to step up to that. See, uh, I, this is where I disagree. I, I think okay. that Pittsburgh has um, kind of a, a good problem to have, almost an embarrassment of riches because you're right, Matt Murray was not good this season. He, his job was overtaken by Tristan Jari, but he does have that playoff pedigree and he has the ability that we've seen in the past to just flip a switch and to just go on a run. We saw it when the Penguins won their first cup. You know, Flurry was the goalie at the start of those playoffs, and he was pretty bad. And Murray just kind of came out of nowhere as a rookie, guy no one's really ever heard of, and took him to a Stanley Cup. So I think he has that ability. But I think we're going to see a lot of Tristan Jari this playoffs. And he's got a – he had a really great season. He was like a 921 save percentage, which is pretty good for the amount of games he had. They basically split games during the season. Um, so – I. I think that this is going to be a strength for them, even though Jari doesn't have the playoff pedigree. I don't, uh, I don't think that that's going to matter very much because I think that the leadership of Crosby, guys like Chris Letang, and even Mike Sullivan behind the bench, I think they're going to be able to iron some of that out. So um, their defense, their defensive abilities maybe will be their weak spot. They're going to definitely rely on Jari and Murray, but I think they're going to end up being okay. You know, and, you know, we can always uh, – we can always – disagree on those kind of things and and you're right I mean I'm not saying either of them are bad goaltenders but it's going right. to come down to you know there's a lot of high-powered offenses in the east right and and that's going to be a tough road for them um you know especially having this extra round of playoffs effectively compared mm -hmm. to the top four that's a good point. um you know and and uh and and with Tristan Jari you know not having that playoff predigree it'll be interesting to see how he handles it you know I I agree with you I think that he probably this season would if I had to have picked a starter I probably would have picked him I you know he's looked solid but it'll be interesting to see how how he handles the situation and then you know how Matt Murray handles it um I'm all for it you know if Pittsburgh is is 
is is is all there, I'm all for it because that always makes for an exciting playoffs. You know, I guess I'm just being devil's advocate at this point. And uh, I think another thing they're going to benefit from benefit from a small factor is that the playoffs are going to be reseeded after every round. So as the number five seed, they're generally going to get, um, I guess, some middle or lower tier teams. So I think they're going to end up doing pretty well. So uh, I take it to assume that you got Pittsburgh winning the series. Uh, yeah, just just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I have them in three games. I, I just I think that with all their star power and their offensive depth and their goaltending being at least league average, if not better, uh, with Montreal not really having many of those to fight back with, I think it's going to be a quick series. Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a power imbalance there for sure. All right, let's move on to the second round, the second series we have going on this round, the number six seed Carolina Hurricanes taking on the number 11 seed New York Rangers. The Rangers also early in the season weren't really expecting to be a playoff team. They had a lot of new faces, a lot of young faces, uh, but they really turned it on the back half of the season. They were one of the more fun teams to watch, one of the best teams to watch, and they had some very good stories too with the the breakout season of Mika Zibanejad and the breakout of their their goaltenders. You know, we knew about Lundqvist obviously for a decade more. Um, <laughs> we know about Alex Georgiev, who was pretty effective the last couple of seasons as that kind of one B behind Lundqvist whenever he got tired or needed a day off or wasn't playing well. But the breakout star in net was uh, Igor Shosturkin, who is a real mouthful to say, but he was one of the top goalies and the most uh, electrifying goalies to watch. So active in net, so athletic. These young guys these days are, are so flexible. And um, I think that New York is kind of going to be slept on because they have that number 11 seat attached to them. But this is going to be a good series. No, absolutely. You know, and, and like you said, the, the goaltending depth for New York right now is absolutely incredible. You know, even uh, even before he came in, you know, Shesterkin uh, had quite the pedigree overseas uh, for a young guy. And, uh, you know, it was always going to be a competition there, uh, you know, kind of for 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 who's going to who's going to take the crown from Hank, you know, and, and I think that's obviously a good problem to have, you know, the the trade-off there is you're looking at Carolina and Carolina's been you know quite the team over the last couple of years as they've been kind of putting this this new version together um it's it's definitely going to be an interesting series you know Carolina has uh you know for kind of the 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 better part of this season the absolutely electric offense um and and their defense has been solid you know obviously they're they're now missing a few uh, uh pieces of that defense which is going to be tough for them uh you know in in uh uh, particularly with Dougie Hamilton, you know, that's a big, big loss for them. Um, you know, but they are, are very good at, at kind of maintaining the flow of the game and, and, and controlling, uh, putting the game to their own tempo, uh, which I think is going to be something that the Rangers are going to have to deal with. Um, but, you know, looking at the other side, again, you go back and, and, you know, guys like Zabinijad and Panarin are, are game changers right now. And that's going to be, uh, uh, you know, tough for the weekend defense of Carolina. So it's going to be an interesting matchup for sure. You know, Carolina, I've long said, and I'm certainly not the only or first person to say this, but Carolina has been kind of an analytics underlying numbers darling for the past four or five seasons. Um, they, they're very good at controlling shot attempts. They're very good at controlling play. They're very good at preventing shots against. And, They've just always struggled with not having that finishing touch. They've had a low shooting percentage for many years, and that's why they kind of always got slept on. But when it came to last season, the, the breakout of Sebastian Ajo, Tara Vinan really finding some chemistry with them, 
um, last season and this season, they've really turned it around to being an elite scoring team as well. And, and they kind of proved it last year when they took down the defending champion, Washington Capitals. So that's something I'll be watching again, the, the depth that they have up front, especially with the addition of Vincent Trocek, who I completely forgot when I watched their exhibition game the other day that he was on the <laughs> Hurricanes. So credit to me. But I think he's going to provide some serious, serious stability for the third line, I think he's currently slated for. But the center depth they have is is relatively unmatched. They have Sebastian Ajo up front, Jordan Stahl second line, Vincent Trocek on the third line, and Jordan Martinuk, who, in my, for my money, is a very good defensive centerman, came from Arizona. And um, I think they're going to be a real good force, and I think that's going to end up being the big difference for this team is the depth that they have over the Rangers. It's really, it's really interesting. You know, uh, it's almost a non-factor, but I always find it interesting when you get a guy that's got to go uh, up against a, a former club right away I, uh, in the playoffs. And I think that uh, for a guy like Brady Shea, you know, I think that's going to make him hungry. And being a new addition, you know, alongside a few other uh, big additions for Carolina, uh, like Batman and Edmondson and Gardner, you know, I think that that, uh, you know, gives them a little bit. You know, they, those, are, those, are, those are big players to bring in, you know. And uh, I think that that will help them out a lot uh, in the long run. They've got some some talented players there in Carolina this year. Yeah, I like that you mentioned their defense, which is, has been a very strong asset for them the past couple of years. The additions of Sammy Vatanen, who didn't play any games during the regular season. It was kind of a head-scratcher when they acquired him at the deadline because he was dealing with a severe injury. I think it was a hip injury or something like that, but he no. wasn't expected to play anytime soon. Apparently, uh, the Hurricanes had a magic eight ball and they could foresee that the playoffs would be for four months because Sammy Vatten and now healthy, now kind of filling in that role for the aforementioned Dougie Hamilton, who was really up for potential Norris bids uh, until he had that, that gruesome leg injury in the middle of the season that, that derailed his season and the Hurricanes season for that matter. So the, the omission of Dougie Hamilton and Brett Pesci, who was a great shutdown defenseman, they're going to miss them, but um, they did good job in the, the summer and the trade deadline to bring in Joel Edmondson to kind of fill in that shutdown role. And Jacob Slavin, who has been with the team for a while, he doesn't really get a lot of notoriety because he, uh, he reminds me a lot of Nicholas Jalmerson and the fact that they're just a solid shutdown defenseman. They give up very few shots against. They're very smothering. They do it in different styles, but they don't really get the credit they deserve because it's not something that ends up on a score sheet. So I think that Slavin is uh, probably going to face – Panarin and or Zibanejad a lot and that's going to be a, a pretty good matchup the the top two lines of, of Carolina I'm sorry of the Rangers going against the Carolina defense yeah I mean it's this this series is definitely going to be a fun watch you know there's this is I think uh, uh as far as the um these early rounds go I think this is a good matchup I think that I'm going to enjoy this one a lot yeah me too so uh with with these two teams who do you uh, who do you like coming out of it yeah, it's it's a tough one, kind of. I think that uh, I'm gonna go with who I think's got the legs, and I think I think uh, I think Carolina, you know, can make a bigger push on the other side of this series. So I'm gonna go with Carolina. It might take them might take them the whole series to do it, but I'm gonna go with Carolina. Yeah, I like Carolina in five as well, which is a weird phrase to say in five games being the full length of the series. But <laughs> I like them in five, and um, yeah, I just I, you're right. They do have more legs. I, th I think they're going to just end up outlasting the the high end talent of the Rangers, who are going to be electric to watch. I'm sure we'll get our fair share of highlights, but uh, I, I just think they're going to end up sticking around a lot longer. 
the goaltending for the Rangers really is, in my opinion, the only thing that stands in the, the Hurricanes' way, and I think that they'll find a way around that just with their, their forward depth. So I like Carolina in five. They were able to take down, like I said, the Capitals last year in seven games. We all know they have Justin Williams, who for whatever reason is known as the guru for elimination games. So I think um, all signs point to Carolina. Yeah. Let's move on to uh, one of the more boring matchups. In my opinion. <laughs> Fortunately, Moose isn't here to debate me on that. But the seventh seed New York Islanders versus the 10th seed Florida Panthers. This is, um, you know, there's an old adage that defense wins championships. And this is going to kind of be one of the more telling series in that regard because the Islanders are very good at preventing goals and the, the Panthers love to score them. So it's really going to be an offensive versus defensive matchup, a coaching duel as well. Barry Trotz versus Joel Quenville. Um, so on paper, it's going to be interesting. Uh, who do you like here? I'm going to be honest. Please do. <laughs> no, I just, I, I kind of think it could go either way with this one. I'm, I'm, not uh, not too invested in this series and um but uh, i i think as a matchup i like you said i think it's a good matchup i think the the back and forth is going to be good you know i think that uh you know there's not there's not a lot in it for me you know i don't i don't see either of these teams no matter who wins really getting very far mm-hmm. um you know i think that this series uh, is probably going to come down to uh Varlamov, if we're being honest, I think if I think if Varley Varley's on his game, and if he's not, then Grice comes in, and you know I think that they will, they're the extra anchor of of that Islanders defense that you're talking about. They've been, they've both been very solid this year. As much as I hate to say that, uh, you know Varley's still doing well uh, outside of the uh, the Avalanche colors, but um, yeah, I mean I think that they're they're going to be the difference here. So I, I think I go with the Islanders. I think that they. Uh, I think that they're they're solid enough at the back to withstand to withstand Florida's top six. So one of the things with the Islanders is going to be which team are we going to get because they were you know a decently good team, above average team uh, through the first half of the year, but they completely had the bottom fall out the last couple of months. They lost eleven of their last thirteen games, and they were again another team who was kind of saved by the shutdown because they were really tracking to be. Um, one of the worst teams in the East and maybe out of a playoff spot. But, but nevertheless, they're here and they're playing the Panthers who have a very electrifying offense on paper. But I got to say, you know, I, I don't I don't lend too much credence to this because it's an exhibition game. But the game that the, the Panthers played against the Lightning, I mean, they, they just looked abysmal. And it looked like they were skating in cement and their defense were so passive. You know, in their D zone, they kind of just – the defense just back up against a rush on a three-on-two or two-on-two or whatever. They just keep backing up into the goal, giving the opportunity for high-danger chances. And on in-zone play, they're passive as well. They kind of just all collapse into the slot. And I think that style of play is not going to bode well against the Islanders, who are very successful at two things on offense. One is attacking on the rush. We know how effective guys like Jordan Eberle and Matt Barzell are with their speed. And the other thing is in-zone play, and their cycle is very effective, especially the fourth line, and they let a lot of shots go from the point. They have uh, some real solid slap shots back there from Johnny Boychuk and Ryan Pellick and whoever, Pollock and Pellick. I get those two mixed up, but they both have great shots, and the Islanders are a team who thrives off of the weaknesses of the Panthers. So I, I think that while this looks like a coin toss, I, I, I don't really see being that way just based on – the styles of play and the way that the Panthers looked in, in the, uh, the warm-up game. No, you know, I, I definitely, uh, I could definitely see this series going either way. 
you know, I, I'm, so I guess we're still in disagreement there. You know, Florida has had their times during this season mm-hmm. that they've really been firing. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, if, if, if we see, you know, Flyers Bobrovsky. Mm-hmm. Or Blue you know, Jackets Bobrovsky. Blue Jackets Bobrovsky. Touch on your point from last season. Yeah. You know, I think that, what was that, uh, what was the TSN quip, right? Uh, Sheriff Bob in Columbus. <laughs> if, if we see Sheriff Bob back there, I, I think that it might, uh, it might tilt, you know, so, so it could be, uh, it could be interesting. Yeah, I agree that, that Bobrovsky does have the capability to steal a series. I just, um, it's like we were talking earlier with Rask, how he has the familiarity with his defense. That was the big issue with Bobrovsky this season is that, you know, he came from a, a defensive solid team, uh, you know, a whole team, not just the decor, but a whole team structure in Columbus who was able to take down the Lightning for just that reason. They, they were so effective at shutting down any offense. Now going to the opposite end of the spectrum, going to the Florida Panthers who have one of the most abysmal defenses in the league. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he has the ability to steal the games. I, I just don't see it. And I think that the, the depth of the Islanders, that third line with Jay-Z Pajot, Derek Broussard, and, and Anthony, Anthony Bavillier – I think they're going to kind of just create some fits for the, the Panthers. So uh, I have the Islanders in five games because I think the, uh, you know, the scoring of the, the Panthers will steal a game or two. But uh, I like the Islanders. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, let's move on to the final series in the Eastern Conference. The number eight seed Toronto Maple Leafs versus the number nine seed Columbus Blue Jackets. So this is an interesting series because I, I think that – kind of like we just mentioned with the Panthers and the Islanders, how they have kind of opposite strategies and they're going to kind of play into each other's hands. Toronto is so offensive, high event, high risk, high reward. And Columbus is very structured. They're very, you know, I guess would say like modest. They, they play a very solid low event game. And I think that it's going to be interesting to watch that dynamic kind of interact in the series. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Toronto is one of those teams that, you know, they're, they're fast, they're creative. They play out of the back, which is big. You know, their their defense is, is such a big part of their offense as well. Um, and then you look at Columbus, which is – that's a very, like you said, very structured um, strategic team um, and with a lot of smart players on it that know how to uh, – uh, within the, the strategies and, and systems that are used, know how to be creative and, and, and generate, generate uh, uh, good, good plays. So – yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting matchup. A lot of uh, compare and contrast there. Yeah, and I think Columbus's offense kind of gets um, underrated, but they have some decent guys who can move the puck and can score as well. You look at a guy like Cam Atkinson, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and the young guy Alex Texier, who you know had a decent playoffs last year in limited time against against the Lightning and kind of showed what he can be. He has a lot of skill. He's very big. He's very strong. So I think that the top nine of the Blue Jackets is going to be interesting. You know, they didn't have any 50-point players. They're a very balanced team. But I think that when it comes against a a weak or a porous uh, defensive score for the, the Maple Leafs, I think they're going to be able to feed a little bit. And I think that that combined with their ability to slow down the elite offense, especially the top six of the Maple Leafs, is going to provide a really interesting uh, matchup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that back end of Columbus is, is huge. You know, the uh... – They've got a few D pairings in there that are absolutely monstrous. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Jones and Warinsky are, 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 are a big factor. And then, you know, you go to their goalie core and their goalie core is strong that, you know, for, for two young guys with not a lot of experience in the league, you know, they've got, 
two very, very, very solid goaltenders. And, um, you know, you're right. You know, if that disrupts that, that Toronto offense and, and with as high risk, high reward as it is, if they're not getting that reward, they're all they're doing is exposing themselves to risk. So, you know, that's, that's definitely something to, to look at there. And you, you could see Columbus, uh, you know, turn the tables on Toronto with that. If they can, if they can slow down that Toronto offense, then Toronto's got problems. Yeah. So I, I will say I do, I do like Columbus in these series. I like Columbus in five games back dating back to that, uh, the style of play that they have their forecheck is, is again, so smothering and, and it's all over the ice and they're very good with their sticks and lanes and little things like that. You know, Tortorella is very harsh on the little things and making sure everything goes right. So I think that it's going to be frustrating for the Leafs. So I like Columbus in five because uh, the, the goaltending as well. You mentioned that the two guys in Columbus and Freddie Anderson hasn't had a great season. Yeah. And you know, you, you could see Anderson bounce back, but I don't, I don't know, you know, with the break, I think that's the big uh, unknown for a lot of players right now, but I don't know that it's going to make all the difference. Um I'm leaning a bit closer to a toss-up, but I'd, I'd tell Tor Columbus as well. You know, you look at last season, I think that this is an easier call than, than saying last year versus Tampa mm-hmm. would have been, you know? so And they're playing um, against – it's a similar team too. It's almost like they're playing against the Lightning again, a team that just runs and guns and has, you know, decent goaltending. So Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm right with you there. So I, I could absolutely see Columbus repeating that performance uh, they had last year against Tampa. I will say that, that Toronto does have a significant chance because of the chaos we mentioned at the beginning, you know, when it comes to, you know, bouncing pucks and unfamiliar territory. And, and Toronto does have, I guess, it's a small advantage, but an advantage nonetheless of playing in their home arena and in their hometown. So Yeah, um, they, they know their own building, that's for sure. Yeah. They know the ice and the boards there, and that's, that's some, there's something to be said for that. You may call it an upset because it is nine over eight, but the teams had um, identical points percentages. So it's, it's just that Columbus have more losses. So – uh, yeah, I look forward to potentially another upset. Yeah, no, I think that one, that one that's going to be a very fun series to watch. That's yeah, much be, much better than Panthers Islanders. Yeah, it's going to be that's going to be some good hockey there. Okay, all right, that wraps up the Eastern Conference. Uh, pretty good discussion there, and looking forward to to seeing how badly our predictions go and how much we uh, get made fun of. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Let's move on to the West. So uh, same thing as before, the top four teams are going to play in a round robin series. And the bottom eight teams are going to play in best of five series to determine the seeding. So the top four in the West were the defending Stanley Cup, St. Louis Blues, the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Dallas Stars. So three central teams coming out of a you know really potent central division. We'll start with the St. Louis Blues. As I mentioned, defending Stanley Cups, one of the best uh, built rosters in the league, first in, in a lethal central division a lot of things to like about this team up front on defense uh, goaltending. I have my issues with, but what do you like about the St. Louis blues? Yeah. The good thing about the blues is, is they might not necessarily have any really be have anyone that stands out this season. as like an absolute superstar, but there's a reason they're in first, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're a team that is just solid all the way through. And there's something to be said for that, especially in the playoffs, you know, in the playoffs, it's, it's all about, how good your team is and and uh and and that's top to bottom and i think the blues have that the blues are always a tough team to beat you know they're there's they're solid you know like i said even when they don't stand out so 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 that's big i think the uh the break will have been good for them um you know you'll see you'll get to see tarasenko come back which is a big piece of their puzzle um 
even with how good they were without him. Um, but again, you know, I don't see them necessarily really having a standout unless someone has a breakout like, like Bennington did uh, last year. But that doesn't mean that they're not a threat because they are, you know, the best team in the West. There's yeah, no they, they almost – they almost they don't have – you're right. They don't have any one or two guys you can point to who kind of carry the team. But it's, it's certainly not for a lack of available talent. That's just – it's not really their MO. It's, it's not how they're built. They're a team that's built on three or four really solid lines I really love their their fourth line, especially with Ivan Barbashev as the center. But, you know, when you look at their top two centers, uh, Braden Shen and Brian O'Reilly, who, you know, was the, I believe, the Consmith last year, but one of the, the best two-way centers in the league. And, right, adding a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko, who's healthy, there was a chance he was going to come back uh, for the playoffs. But, uh, obviously, you know, with the delay, he, he's certainly healthy back now. And, and he looked good in his first game back. So, up front, they're, they're one of the most dynamic teams. And, they basically brought back the, the exact same roster from their Stanley Cup year. So, I mean, right off the bat, you have to love that about a team. Really, their only switch was they traded Joel Edmondson and brought in Justin Falk, another good puck-moving defenseman. So you have Jordan Bennington in that and Jake Allen behind him, who, who's kind of finding his way as, as a backup. He struggled a lot over the last decade or so as a starter. But now that he's a backup, a little bit less of the pressure on him behind a solid Jordan Bennington. I mean, a lot, a lot to be afraid of if you're another team in the Western conference. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, they're, they've kind of evolved to be that team. That's, that's perennially in the conversation, you know, even before this, this cup run last year, you know, they were always kind of there. They were, you know, throughout the season, they're knocking off good teams and, and been kind of slowly putting this, this kind of organization, this kind of team together and, and this kind of product to put on the ice. And I, I think they've done that now, you know, this is the vision clearly that they were aiming for and, and it works. You know, there's, there's a reason that they won last year, and there's a reason that they've maintained such a high position all season this year, um, you know, and that, that just has to do with the structure. Like you said, they're built to be a team that relies, you know, on, on three solid, you know, four solid lines, and, and that's hard to do, and, and St. Louis has done it well. And we can't, we can't go on without mentioning the coaching being the biggest aspect of that. Craig Berube – um, you know, as a rookie coach last year, winning the Stanley Cup, he's a guy that the players, they all respect from his, his playing days. He was a tough scoring guy back in his days, I believe with Philly. And um, he, yeah, like I said, well-respected. He has great control of the room and, and the players love to play for him. So that combined with, with a solid roster is a uh, force to be reckoned with. Let's move on to the, the second team in the central, the Colorado Avalanche, your, your love and uh, my now hometown team. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's uh I had kind of a weird, weird route to be in a hockey fan, a weird route to be in an avalanche fan, but you know, I stuck with it and I'm happy I did. Cause this is a team, you know, that's, that's insanely fun to watch. You know, we, we touched before uh, when we were talking about some of the, the Eastern teams about that kind of run and gun style of play. And, you know, I think Colorado personifies that they've got so many guys, you know, whether you're talking about offensive players or defensive players that can just, take off and create a play out of nothing, take off and, and create a goal on their own. Um, and there, there's something big there because you can have a bad game and, and have a player save it for you, have a player spark the team up again. And, and those kind of players are, are uh, insanely important, I think, in the playoffs specifically, you know, because they can turn a game around for you. It takes, you know, one big play by a guy like, you know, McKinnon, Rantanen, McCarr, you know, Sam Gerrard, any of those guys uh, to, to really 
get the team fired up again. It doesn't need to be a fight. You know, it doesn't need to be a big hit. And, and that's, a, that's a big thing to be able to not only re-spark the guys, we get some points on the board, I think is huge. Uh, you know, Colorado obviously has had a, a, a really strong year this year. You know, they look really solid. Um, I know they're not everyone's favorites, and obviously I'm a bit biased, but I'm a big fan of the, the goaltending duo in Colorado this year. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, they've been relatively solid. I think they're good enough to, uh, with, with the structure of the team, I think they're good enough to, to not be detrimental. Right, they won't be an issue. They won't be an issue, I don't think. And, um, and you know, they, they have – Colorado's got something here this year, especially for their – you know, they've shown it against their uh, division rivals. Um, you know, they've shown it against St. Louis. They've shown it against Dallas. You know, and, and, and um, I, think, I think Colorado might thrive in this new play – in this, this temporary, I guess, this one-year playoff environment. I think mm-hmm. this might work well for them. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. I do, I do have to say I agree with what you're saying. Uh, the goaltending we'll get to. But, yeah, in, in this chaotic time where it's going to be all over the place, poor structure, bad ice, lots of run and gun, I think that the skill that guys like uh, McKinnon and Ranton and, and McCarr have, I think that's gonna, they're going to find like a little niche here and they're going to be able to you know, take advantage of that, whereas some teams, specifically Dallas and St. Louis, kind of thrive on – structure and defense and and prevention where that may not be the case you know in a perfect world that may succeed but we're not in a perfect world right now and the avalanche may find a way to like an actual avalanche just create chaos and thrive in it so you know you mentioned once to me a a few years ago that you thought that this was during the was it the 2017 series where they ended up with like 48 points or something like that one of the worst teams in recent memory it's Mm -hmm. hard to see that team still you know, hard to see that just a few years ago after seeing the team now. But you once mentioned to me that you thought Nathan McKinnon was, you know, comparable to Connor McDavid. And I kind of laughed it off at the time. And, you know, you've, you kind of proved me wrong. And, and McKinnon is, is – he is one of the, the players, just like with McDavid, who can just absolutely flip a switch and take over a game, take over a shift, take over one play, just with having, you know, 10 feet of open ice and being able to just skate past anyone in the league with just a couple strides, you know, you see the quickness of McDavid being one of his most powerful attributes. The same thing with McKinnon, you know, if he gets the puck at his own blue line and, you know, with more than a couple of strides, he will just blow anyone out of the water and he's got a powerful shot to back it up. And uh, now he has the ability to kind of control the power play as well on that left-hand side, kind of the Ovechkin Stamco spot. So really becoming one of the most well-rounded players in the league. And I think that he's going to be a big factor for them to just completely take over games and take over series. No, absolutely. You know, and I think an important point to be made, um, and one of the reasons, honestly, that I, um, looking back, that I think I would have drawn that comparison is because I think one thing in hockey that I don't see a lot is um, is something that I see in both McDavid and McKinnon, which is, you know, generally you play a guy one of a certain couple of ways when they're when they're coming down the ice on you, and, and that's true of any sport. You know, um, you, you you know. You watch, you learn about your opposition, you, you figure out how to play against them. But guys like McKinnon and McDavid are both the kind of guys that it doesn't matter whether you give them space or whether you smother them, they're going – like, they. it, it doesn't matter. They, mm-hmm. They'll get past you either way. If you smother them, they'll embarrass you. And if you give them space, they'll embarrass you. Like, and there's – there's nothing to be, there's, it's hard to, it's hard to deal with that. You know, it's, it's damn near impossible. There's very few defensemen in the league that are 
capable of handling that caliber of player. Um, you know, and, and obviously McDavid shows it time and time and time again in Edmonton. Um, you know, he, he is, uh, you know, unable to be handled for the most part. And uh, McKinnon, you know, I think plays a bit more into um, the structure, albeit a loose structure, but the structure that Colorado is trying to utilize, like you said, using, you know, kind of how they run that power play and stuff. Um, so, uh, but it's, but it's a very similar quality. You know, he is able to adapt to a situation faster than, you know, those of us at home watching on television recognize that it's happening. Yeah. And that, that's uh that's an intangible quality that, um, you know, exists in very few. And, and it's, it's a huge factor for Colorado. It's an absolutely massive factor for Colorado because, you know, uh, as much as I can sit here and list off that I think every player on the roster is a good player for the most part, you know, McKinnon is, is his own, not his own caliber, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a standout for sure in a team that's already, you know, arguably, you know, maybe the best offense in the West, definitely the best top line in the West, you know, yeah. again, in my opinion. And the additions they made over the summer with Andre Burakovsky and Jonas Donskoy and Nazem Kadri, kind of just creating a second and third line really kind of – because that was a major issue for the Avalanche last season was, okay, McKinnon, McKinnon's line's off the ice. You know, now what do we do? Well, now they've created a, a legitimate middle six with those two middle lines. Uh, now they can really run with anyone. Um, I, I want to touch on the goaltending real quick because you're right. You do have a bit of a bias. I think that Philip Grubauer and, and Pavel Francouz are – they're legitimate. I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely not bad. I don't think they're a weakness. I just, I think they, uh, in my opinion, are the, are the weakest in the top four. When you look at um, the Golden Knights bringing in Robin Lanner, and we talked about Jordan Bennington, Jake Allen, and with Dallas is Ben Bishop. So I think that that's going to be, they're going to lose that duel every night, uh, especially those first three games. But I still think that the offense that they provide could potentially outweigh it. So you know, as I mentioned, they're kind of a favorite for both of ours. Definitely one of the more fun teams to watch, regardless of whether we think they're going to win or lose. I'm, I'm very, very excited to see what McKinnon's line can do, what McCarr and Sam Gerrard can do on the back end. I mean, looking back to that, that, season, that series last year against Calgary, that top line just – I mean, they, they just did whatever they wanted. McKinnon and, and Ranton and kind of just skated wherever they felt like it. And that was against a legitimate defense core in Calgary of, you know um, – Mark Giordano, who I think had just won the Norris, and Travis Hamanick and TJ Brody. These are legitimate studs on the back end, and, and the Avalanche top line just kind of throw them around like ragdolls. So I think they have the, the capacity to do that again, and I'm, I sure hope they do. Yeah, the downside to playing against an offense like that night in and night out in a series is that every game that goes by, you know, you're learning more about them, but they're learning more about you too. Mm. You know, so you're, you're going to see that in a series like – in a series uh, with Colorado where, you know – yeah, the defense is going to become more and more adapted to to what those guys are doing every night. But at the same time, those guys are going to figure out where the limitations of that defense are. You know, I think the longer a series goes, the more powerful a top line like that is. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's Colorado or any other team with a line like that. And I think they have an intangible that they got cheated out of the playoffs last year and on a pretty unfortunate ruling that uh, against the San Jose Sharks on that Gabriel Landis-Cog offsides that – I think it was in game seven so kind of uh, got cheated was, by the sharks i was not gonna bring that up but yeah, yeah. you know absolutely there's uh you know it's that hunger it's like we talked yeah. about you know with a few of the teams in the east that are that are just hungry you know you got a team like tampa is looking to prove itself mm -hmm. uh so a team like colorado is absolutely looking to do the same and another team looking to get over being cheated by the sharks is the the golden knights who 
you know, infamously uh, had that five-minute major penalty against them last year uh, on the hit on Joe Pavelski. And then we know how that ended up. Uh, they scored uh, three or four power play goals and won in overtime. So the Golden Knights are going to be hungry again. Um, again, just like the Avalanche, they added some key middle six players, Mark Stone specifically, who are really going to bolster that top six. And, you know, they had the, the famous line of Jonathan Marcheseau, William Carlson, and Riley Smith, who were so electric for them in their, their first two seasons. But now they have the capacity to move them around because they have added, you know, Paul Stastny and Max Pacioretty, as well as the aforementioned Mark Stone. So they have the ability to kind of move around guys, depending however um, new coach Peter DeBoer wants to move them. So I think that their offense, as well as their goaltending, which we'll get to, is going to be a big factor for them and a huge uh, sign of optimism. No, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, you know, Vegas, I mean, they're right. They're the only team representing the Pacific here in the top four for the West. And there's a reason for that. They've, they've got a good, uh, good team again this year. You know, they've not expected, right. To have a, uh, uh, an expansion team be so strong for its first handful of seasons, but they have been and and time and time again, they prove why, you know, they've got, uh, you know, a good front office that's put together a good team here and, and they consistently put that product on the ice. Uh, you know, they have uh, a great record in the Pacific itself. Um, you know, generally speaking, it's a, it gets a bit weaker when you bring in the Central. Uh, but even against the Central, you know, they're they're not below 500. So that's, uh, that's a big thing. You know, I don't know that defensively they necessarily stand out to me. Um, but I, I agree with you absolutely that that offense, especially I think Mark Stone's a huge pickup. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a fantastic player. And uh, I think that that's a, a, a big move for them. That second line, I think, is going to be a worry uh, for, for some teams here. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about the goaltending real quick because we know what we can get out of Marc-Andre Fleury. He's got the playoff pedigree. He's had some really solid success, especially with the Golden Knights. But he was pretty subpar this season, and the team was fortunate that they were able to bring in Robin Leonard for, you know, not much in return, if we're being honest. But they brought in Robin Leonard, who was very, very good in Chicago you know, playing behind a very bad defense. He had a 9-18 in 33 games behind Chicago's defense. So he has the capacity to really to, to really break out. And, you know, he had a great year last year with the Islanders. Many people thought he was uh, a goalie who benefited from a, a good system, which could be true, but he proved a lot of people wrong this year that he really has the ability to play behind some bad teams. So you mentioned, you know, their defense, which I do think is a weakness. I, I think they have some – good offensive players on the back end, like Shea Theodore and, and Nate Schmidt. But as far as defending in their own zone, they give up a lot of chances. And it's kind of what leads to a lot of highlight reels for Marc-Andre Fleury making some acrobatic saves. You know, th those are cool to watch, especially as a fan. But, you know, if you're a coach or a guy on the team, you really don't want to see that much going on. You want to see something a little more subtle uh, from your goalie. But, you know, I think the goaltending is going to be big for them, especially going against some of these teams who – you know, besides Colorado, I don't really think that there's a lot of high-powered offenses in this top four. Yeah, you know, the West has definitely been more of a, a um, less of a less of a, less offensive gunners than the East has had for sure. Um, you know, I think the interesting thing with goaltending in in Vegas specifically is, uh, you know, all I'll admit to, I, I never really understood what they were trying to do. I didn't think the uh, the move initially when they acquired Subban was a move. Um, I didn't understand why they weren't utilizing some of the goalies they already had in the system. They had some good goalies that were then stuck behind Subban due to, due to the way his contract was. Um, and uh, 
I'm I was I was very very big on on the move for Leonard. I think that he's a huge pickup for them. Um, and you know, you're right. I mean, Flurry has had some struggles this season. I think you know there's a very realistic possibility that Robin Leonard is the number one man in Vegas next year. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's a good solid goaltender. He's a big body and he knows how to use it. Um, uh, speaking to, to flurry though, you know, I've at, at multiple points in, in my hockey viewing life, I have said that I believe that flurry is done or on the outs and then he mm-hmm. proves me wrong. So I'm a bit hesitant to say that now, uh, you know, a, a guy like flower that, you know, sometimes bad play from him means good plays coming and and there's a decent chance that we see you know normal flurry back here in the postseason especially for him he's a big mental guy and if he can focus on the fact that you know he's had this time off and now it's just this short run and then you know it's over so you know if he can put everything into this short run i you know we we might get him back um which which would be huge for vegas if not you know Leonard's right there, and right. You know, like like we both talked about, he's obviously be- more than serviceable. So so I don't think they have too much worry there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and worst comes to worst, you have a, a rock solid Leonard with with Flurry in his ear as a leader, and and I think there's something to be said there too. You know, Flurry has um, been the benefactor for you. Look at a guy like Matt Murray in Pittsburgh, where you know Murray said that when Flurry left, he was like, you know, he's mm-hmm. Uh, how helpful he was and how good of a uh, uh, how good of a guide he was for him uh, in his role on the team. So, you know, that's, that's a big part of it. And I think that uh, I think the goaltending will be strong for Vegas here. I definitely agree with you that I think the defense will be their worry. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the goalies can put together some strong performances, I think that they'll be solid. The guy I do feel bad for is, is Peter DeVore behind the bench because he's going to have to make that decision. But you know, Flurry has a much higher ceiling. I think he has the capacity to really steal some games, but Flenner has been more consistent. So it's it's a it's a tough choice to make, but definitely a good problem to have if you're an organization. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh let's move on to the Dallas Stars, the fourth team in this top four group. Uh, they finished third in Central, 37 wins. They were, I mean, to say the least, they were all over the place this season. They had one regulation win their first 10 games. There was a lot, a lot of panic around Dallas and. They invested a lot in this season. They brought in a new coach last year. They brought in Joe Pavelski and Corey Perry. And people were kind of pulling their hair out. They couldn't find a win. But, um, you know, suddenly during November, December, they were the second best team in the league as far as points percentage. And then again, the last 25 games, they completely dropped off. Only 11 wins, under two and a half goals a game. And they lost six straight to end the year. So, you know, we, we talk about with some other teams, which blank are we going to get? Which goal are we going to get? Which Dallas Stars are we going to get during this condensed playoff series? Um, it's going to be tough to see. And, and they're definitely going to rely on goaltending because they're another low event team. But um, yeah, I, I've had my issues with Ben Bishop in the past. And just like with Flurry with you, he's always proved me wrong. So I'm going to continue to beat this dead horse. Uh, I think he has some potential areas of exposure. And I, I see, I wonder if some teams can find that. You know, I, I think we're going to split decision on that because I feel like I've never been proven wrong by Ben Bishop. I've never been a big advocate for Bishop. You know that I was a big, I was an early Bassey advocate in Tampa mm-hmm. uh, for the same reasons. You know, I think that Tampa even jeopardized some of their playoff runs in the past by bringing Bishop back off injury when Bassey mm-hmm. was doing a perfectly fine job. You know, uh, Bishop, I think is a, is a, a, a good goaltender. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know that he's winning a series for Dallas this year. I think that Dallas, you know, like you said, depending on which Dallas shows up, I think that, um, 
you know, Bishop could be in for a lot of work and, and I don't know how much of that he has left in him. I'd like to see it. You know, I'd like to see the best Dallas show up, you know, possible. Cause like you said, this season when Dallas has been on, you know, mm-hmm. they've been arguably one of the best teams in the league, if not the best team in the league at certain points. Um, you know, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, and, and like you said, I think it comes down to who shows up. Uh, you know, some of those recent acquisitions um, have not performed to expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, both of them are guys that have playoff experience and, and, and um, you know, some, some veteran takes maybe that, uh, you know, maybe that'll benefit them. You know, um, they're, they're also both guys that know how to play with some grit and some edge and uh, uh, kind of grind things out, even if uh, occasionally uh, one of them might take things a bit too far. But, uh, at an outdoor know, game in an outdoor game <laughs> but uh yeah i think that uh i think that they've got a, a decent shot if the right dallas shows up now the likelihood of the right dallas showing up is is up in the air again given the break and everything else you know i don't think we'll really know uh yeah. until, until we see it yeah their they're, they're top line again like we'll talk about with most teams their top line of, of tyler sagan jamie ben and alex radulov They've been broken up a little bit, but they are one of the more electrifying lines in the league. And they've had their struggles this year. And I don't even know if they're going to stick together during this this uh, first few games. And that's going to be a telling sign that maybe this isn't the Dallas Stars team that we were looking for, not the team from November, December, which was second or first best in the league. So they're going to rely on some young guys. And, and a few names come to mind. Uh, Denis Garyanov, who will probably have some first-line time. He's got great speed, very smart. He's got a really, really good shot. So he reminds me a bit of a, a left-handed Tyler Sagan, which is kind of why they put him on that top line. But on the back end, too, Merrill Heiskanen, who was a top, uh, top-round pick a couple years ago, and, you know, for good reason. He is, he is so fun to watch. Very, very similar, in my opinion, to Kale McCarr as far as the ability to skate and break the puck out himself, as well as controlled in the offensive zone. He's all over the place. He has so much speed. So – uh, he's going to be a big factor for them. And Rupe Hints as well. Um, he's another guy with great speed as a centerman up front. Kind of came in under the radar a couple of years ago for the Stars. They gave him some limited time. But now that um, they're really making a push, like you said, with the acquisitions, he's getting a lot more recognition and for good reason. So those young guys, they're going to kind of, in my opinion, be a make or break for the Stars because they've carried the team during the season and you know, there's not a lot of respect for young guys when it comes to NHL playoffs. So maybe this can be uh, one of the exceptions to that. No, I'm with you there. Absolutely. I'm a big fan, actually, of, uh, of Heisken. And I, I really like the way he plays. I remember actually the first game where I really kind of noticed him uh, kind of early on in this season. And, and um, you know, I think it took a while for um, – I think for, for that to catch out, obviously, like, you know, I'm, I wasn't really noticing him in, until recently here, but I like the way he plays. I think he's part of that new generation. Like you touched on with McCarr, there's kind of a, a new generation, a new style, a new adaptation of, of that offensively powered defenseman. And, and he's definitely a part of that. And he could be a big, big, big piece for them. Um, you know, cause when he gets up, uh, you know, and, and starts leading, leading rushes and helping breakouts, you know, he's, he's a big piece and uh, he can definitely uh, change the flow for them in a game that's going 50, 50, I think. So, so he could be a big part of that. Well, let's do predictions. Um, I'll go this time uh, for the top four. I, I like Colorado one, St. Louis two, and then Vegas and Dallas. It's kind of a toss up for that last spot. Again, depending on which Dallas team we get. So um, what do you think? Do you agree? 
Um, yeah, I'd be, in, I'd, I'd absolutely be inclined to agree. That's right about what I was thinking. I think that, um, I don't, I don't know, you know, like you said, depending on which Dallas team we get, I don't know that it's a toss up for that last spot. You know, I think if we get the Dallas team that we saw at the end of the season, it's a definitive Dallas number four. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that Vegas has, you know, I think depending on, on, on what shade of Vegas we get, they could be knocking on, on St. Louis for number two, you know? So I think that the, the, the West is very close because I also don't really think St. Louis is very far off Colorado. You know, mm-hmm. I said uh, off the lead of this that I think St. Louis in a normal hockey environment is the best team in the West. Right. Um, you know, so there's, there's something interesting to be said to that. I think it's going to come down to how much this weird structure affects St. Louis um, you know, I think Colorado will be fine. It'll be how much the the Vegas can settle in and then which Dallas we get. But at uh, at a 30,000-foot view, absolutely, yeah. Colorado, St. Louis, Vegas, Dallas. All right. I like it. Uh, let's move on to the, the qualifying round series. Again, the best of five series between uh, the bottom eight teams to determine the seeding. So the first one we'll get into is the number five Edmonton Oilers going against the number 12 Chicago Blackhawks. So just like we mentioned with the – Penguins and the, the Canadians in the East, the Chicago Blackhawks really weren't expected to uh, make it to the playoffs. So Vegas well sold at the deadline. We talked about Robin Leonard a few minutes ago. He was dealt away from Chicago. They could really use him if they were going into a playoff series. They, they do still have uh, Corey Crawford in net, who was very good this season, apparently won the job over Leonard. That's why they traded Leonard away. Um, but yeah, I mean, Chicago does kind of pose an interesting threat because of their dynamic offense and, you know, they're, they're kind of game changers, whether it be Patrick Kane or Alex DeBrinkett or some of their, their middle six guys who can work together to really change a game. But I, I, I don't know. I just I see Edmonton having the advantage in that. And um, the goaltending to me is a toss up. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think uh, I think the, the loss of Leonard it actually is. And, and I hate to say this, but I've been, a, a, you know, I'm very opinionated when it comes to goalies, as we've noticed over the course of this conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I was never a big Crawford guy. So I think the loss of Leonard will hurt Chicago and might end up being a big difference for them in this series. And Crawford, uh, I mean, you know, he missed a lot of time during camp. He actually um, announced that he was COVID positive. So we missed all of training camp. So, I mean, that's going to be a big issue coming from four months off to only a couple of practices to get ready for game shape. Right. And, there, and there's something to be said for that, you know, because, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. But, uh, you know, there's, there's multiple – <laughs> there's multiple, uh, you know, a- accounts from people all over the world that, you know, the being clear of COVID and being fully recovered are not the same thing. And, right. you know, I think that, you know, hopefully not, you know, I'd, I'd love to see 100% Crawford out there battling it out. Um, you know, but there's a chance that he's not at a full 100% yet. And, and that might wear on him as well. You know, they talk about fatigue problems uh, when you're recovering from COVID and stuff like that. And if he's dealing with that, then, then, you know, he, he might have some, some, some uh, uh, holdbacks as well. Uh, right. I think the trade-off you're looking for there, though, or you're looking at in this matchup, though, is, is, is all offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of goal scorers on the Edmonton side of things. You know, Chicago has good offense on the rush, on the, on the breakouts. Um, but, you know, I think that their number of goal scorers is a lot more limited than, than Edmonton. Edmonton has mm-hmm. – guys throughout most of their lines that can put the puck in the net. Uh, whereas I think Chicago, it's, it's kind of the usual suspects, you know? 
And, so, and for Edmonton, as far as goal scorers, it, it pretty much the list contains anybody who plays with Connor McDavid, right? I mean, we saw Milan Lucic have a stretch where he was putting pucks in the back of that. James Neal was was ripping it early in the season. And Zach Cassie, I mean, all these guys who were not known as goal scorers, but you just put them with 97, go to the net, and, and magic things can happen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there, there's something to be said for that as well. So, so even if that, you know, goes to a point where you throw some of these guys up there, you know, you mix up the lines a little bit and, and it works because you can put, you know, kind of a, a, a Cassian guy, a, a Lucic, that, that kind of player on a line with McDavid almost to, you know, quote unquote protect, and they're still going to put up points. Right. Um, and, and that's a big factor. You know, that's what makes, that's another part of, you know, we talked about, the McKinnon McDavid thing earlier with what they can do individually, but that's part of what makes McDavid such a good player for his team. You know, he can generate points for guys that can don't generally generate points on their own. And that's, that's absolutely a huge factor. Yeah. They could put Dave Tippett off the bench on his line and he's going to score a bunch of goals. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it is worth noting that Chicago was statistically the more dominant team at five on five during the season. And, that is generally an indicator during the, the playoff time. You know, remember four or five years ago when they were upset by the Predators in the first round, the one over or the eight over the one seed. Uh, kind of looking back, you know, Nashville was the superior team by far at five on five. Chicago just had, you know, the goal scoring and, and the special teams. Well, now the roles are kind of reversed and Chicago was uh, a better even strength team. And, you know, we, we talked about the Oilers top lines. So that's going to be, I'm looking forward to seeing almost from like an experimental view how that plays out because you're right. I think that the roster for Edmonton is superior to to Chicago, maybe exception of the goalie, but, you know, seeing how the five on five play compared to the power play and penalty kill, it's going to be interesting. No, absolutely. You know, and, and five on five comes in, I think uh, to the point you're making, you know, it's playoffs as, as we touched on before, you know, the rest put away their, their whistles a little bit mm -hmm. more. And, uh, you know, so five on five becomes a bigger factor, I think, in the playoffs. Um, you know, even if just incrementally, you know, that can be the difference. Um, one thing I think to be noted in this series is if, uh, if either team loses a goaltender for whatever reason, mm. whether it's Crawford or Koskinen, um, you know, you're, neither team's got a super strong backup. I think that tilt goes, like, for the sake of argument, say it happens to both teams, mm -hmm. I think that tilt goes to Mike Smith. Right, I agree. Um, but you know that's not really saying much because Mike Smith versus Crawford isn't a thing. Koskinen versus Subban, <laughs> I don't think is a thing either. I think that's a very real worry for both these teams, not necessarily just in this series, but moving forward as well. You know, they don't have the goaltending depth that some of the other teams we've talked about today do. Mm -hmm. So predictions, I uh, I like Edmonton in four games. I think that um, Crawford could potentially steal a game, or maybe some of their offense can steal a game, but. I just think that the speed of the top two lines for the Oilers, whether it's McDavid or Dreisaitl or Nugent Hopkins and their complementary players, I think it's just going to be too much for um, a not very defensively minded Chicago team and, and defense. So I like Edmonton at four. I agree. Uh, I think, I think, uh, um, you know, plus or minus, you know, it could be three, could be five. Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of depends. I think that Chicago will do a decent job of, of dealing with the speed outside of, uh, you know, McDavid, I guess, because no one can really deal with his speed. Mm -hmm. um, I think a big problem for, for Chicago will get, be getting beat up a little bit by a guy like Cassian, by a guy like Lucci. You know, we talked on that. Like, when they're out there, it's, it's really hard to cover McDavid when every time you touch the puck, you know, you've got 
Zach Cassian's mutton chops in your face, you know? <laughs> we already um, saw that in the exhibition rounds too. Ex- exactly. <laughs> you know, that's, that's tough for a lot of guys to deal with. It's tough for a lot of teams to deal with. Um, you know, it's hard to play defense when you're, when you're getting beat up on offense. So um, I think, I think um, as controversial and, and rowdy as a guy like Cassian is, I think he's a difference maker for Edmonton. I think he helps out a lot. And uh, yeah, I think their offense is going to swarm, uh, Chicago and I think that uh, you know when Chicago tries to respond they're going to have a tough job uh, you know uh, what's one thing we didn't really talk about either is Edmonton's decor is is, is not bad you know it's mm-hmm. definitely not bad and, and they're um, very mobile too they're very mobile um, so so I think uh, yeah I think Edmonton takes that one no matter how many games it takes all right uh, let's go to the next series um, the Nashville Predators the number six seed taking on the Arizona Coyotes the number 11 seed this is going to be, um, for my money, one of the lower scoring series in the playoffs because both teams are, are relatively defensive. Nashville, you know, they, they kind of think they have a lot of offensive talent, but it hasn't really shown the last couple of years in Arizona. Obviously very good at, at goal prevention. So uh, this is going to be a defense against defense, in my opinion. So uh, what do you like about Nashville versus Arizona? Uh, yeah, I think, I think the same, you know, I think this is the series where, uh, some of these guys might be glad that it's happening within the bubble and not in the normal structure. Cause that's a long haul between games, you know, Nashville <laughs> and Arizona, um, which, you know, can have an impact. So, you know, you take that out and I think it opens it up a bit. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, not, not super high production teams. There are, you know, I think Nashville scores are a bit more exciting when mm. they are scoring. Um, which I think would lead a lot of people to kind of a lot of casual viewers kind of tilt that way, but it's 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 fairly close to me. You know, Arizona I think has always had a um, a consistently underrated defense. I think um, a lot of a lot of people have kind of just lumped them into that category of teams that aren't very good. Um, but you know, the problem for Arizona's defense for a long time was that they were playing defense for sixty to seventy percent of the game, mm-hmm. and like you can't play high level defense for that big a percentage of the game every night and, and be, and look good, you're going to have bad numbers. Um, but when you look at, you know, player by player, I mean, Oliver Ekman Larson has consistently been a top defenseman, in mm-hmm. my opinion, in the national hockey league, pretty much since he's come in and he just hasn't really, there's nothing and there wasn't anything in front of them for a long time. I think Arizona is starting to kind of put that together a little bit. Um, you know, I think they're more competitive this year than, than they really have been in a bit. And I think that, um, you know, goaltending on both sides has been interesting to me as well. Um, you know, I think that uh, that tilt might go to Arizona. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, Nashville's goalies are good and, and they tend to be good in the playoffs, you know. Um, you know, you you had mentioned to me before, you know, like Rene necessarily hasn't had, you know, his best year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he is – he always has been fairly good in the playoffs, and, and we know that UC Saros is a, is a solid goaltender. So um, it, it's going to be interesting for sure. I think Arizona's defense is is solid enough to go toe-to-toe with Nashville's defense. Um, and I think at that point it's just going to come down to who can convert the most. And at that, it's kind of a toss-up. I think I give Nashville's offense just a little bit of an edge, but I think I, I might honestly give Arizona's goalies – uh, a tiny edge as well so that kind of balances out yeah so as far as the goalies I, I will say that um you know Rene has been pretty bad this season he's been pretty bad the last couple of years because he's he's really getting up there in age and he's had a lot of very successful seasons so having UC Soros kind of come in to take over the helm he was good this year uh he's like a 914 save percentage they pretty much split games so he should be relatively fresh 
but he doesn't have the playoff experience that Rene has. So that's going to be another tough decision for Nashville to make. But regardless of who they play, they're going to lose the goaltending battle to whoever Arizona puts in that, whether it's yep. Darcy Kemper or Antti Ranta, because they have just been the best tandem, in my opinion, in the NHL statistically. And part of it is, you know, credit should be given to the Arizona defense because like we mentioned with Bobrovsky, you know, the goalies in Arizona have a solid understanding and a camaraderie with their defense core of understanding where the vulnerabilities are. And if there's a two on one, can you trust your defenseman to take a pass or does the goalie need to kind of cheat a little bit and expose himself? So that combination of really successful goaltending plus good defense, I think is going to give so much frustration to the Predators, who were already not really a dynamic scoring group. I mean, their top line, that Jofa line, is reportedly going to come back together with Brian Johansson, Philip Forsberg, and Victor Arvidsson, who were a lot of fun to watch. They're great all over the ice. Um, but behind that, I mean, there haven't been very many results. They brought in Matt Duchesne. They brought in Kyle Turris and Mikhail Granlund, who were expected to, you know, kind of be that secondary scoring that Colorado got from those three guys we mentioned earlier. But they haven't really performed that well. So, um, I think it's going to be a low-scoring series, and I, I think the Arizona does have the depth scoring to kind of take on the subpar goaltending for for Nashville. I love their their four lines. I mean, the recently fired John Chaika as GM brought in some good players, and they pretty much have a goal scorer on every line, which is not really what most teams can expect. They have Taylor Hall on the top line. Bill Kessel, Clayton Keller, and Vinny Hinnestroza spread out through the lineup. And those guys all know how to put the puck in the net. So they're going to have fits with the Nashville defense, but I think that ultimately they're going to have the, the victory. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think, uh, I think that's how it goes that way. And like I said, you know, even if, uh, even if that top line for Nashville does come together the way they have in the playoffs the last, you know, last year, uh, two years, um, and, and, you know, start being explosive on that level. I think, you know, the, the goaltending situation still gives it the tilt. I'm with you on that. Um, I'm interested to see what, uh, what Hinnestroza can do. I really liked watching him this season when I got to watch Arizona's games. Yeah. And, and like I said, he, he's going to get some, some uh, easier matchups playing bottom six pairings. So uh, right. he should have some success there. So I got Arizona in five games just because the offense to me is a relative coin flip. So I think that Nashville could pull a few games out, but I like Arizona in five games, especially because they're, they're generally better coached uh, than the Predators are. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. All right. Uh, the next matchup we've got in the Western Conference is the number seven Vancouver Canucks versus the number 10 seed Minnesota Wild. So listeners of the show will know that Moose and I have kind of gone back and forth about the Canucks during the season. Um, like I said, he's not really here to debate me on this, so I have kind of free range. But uh, I really wasn't that impressed with uh, Vancouver as a team during the season. They had some, uh, some good stretches early on, but they had one of the easier schedules. And really behind the, the top six forwards and Jacob Markstrom and Nat, who we'll touch on, I mean, they have a great top six. But aside from that, I, I really don't like um, much of their roster. And they're going against a Minnesota Wild team who was very, very, very effective at five on five. So I think that being a seven versus ten matchup is a little bit of a misnomer. I, I, I may give an advantage to the Wild here. Uh, for me, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, for me, this is, this is, uh, uh, Florida Islanders. It's, it's, um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I see this being very exciting. There's some, there's some very exciting players in it. Um, but I agree. I think Minnesota's going to take this one And the way Minnesota plays hockey is, 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 um, 
I'm not going to, it's not boring, but it's, it's very, you know, it's boring. It's okay. You can say it's it's strategic. It's traditional. It's they play good, solid hockey. They play like what you picture in your head when you, when you think of hockey and as great as that is, you know, it doesn't make for great television. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think Minnesota takes this. I think, you know, it's going to be, there'll be highlights, you know, I'm sure from Mm -hmm. Vancouver's guys, guys like Pedersen, you know, guys like Hughes, you know, those guys are, uh, you know, they're, they're fun to watch on their own individually, but they're, there's not enough of a team around them in Vancouver to, to, to make any sort of difference, I think, for, for a Stanley Cup run. Um, you know, you said we'll touch on Markstrom later. Markstrom is, uh, you know, a, a fantastic goaltender uh, as well. But, you know, so we're talking about, you know, really one standout guy at each position. That, uh, that doesn't right. make a team for me. Um, right. I will openly admit to bias. I'm not a big Vancouver guy. <laughs> never have been so uh there is that to take into account um but i'm also not a big minnesota guy so you know take that as you will i think minnesota walks this one over yeah and i think that minnesota kind of got underappreciated because they had a tough start to the season and they do kind of play a boring style of game which is, is fair to say i mean that's not necessarily a slight especially if they get the results and they certainly did they won 13 of their last 20 games to end the season so the fact that they're so underrated uh, you know they may surprise some guys, some some fans, people who aren't too aware, because they are relatively well balanced, especially at the back end. They have that top pairing of, of Ryan Suter, who's been around forever and still as dominant as ever, paired with Jared Spurgeon, who's one of the most underrated defensemen in the league. Then you go right behind it, you got Jonas Brodin and Matt Dumba. I mean, they it seems like they have the capacity to shut down forwards, opposing forwards, depending on who they want to throw out there. I mean, they could just put they could just roll three pairings. And they'll give plenty of fits to to many teams. Now, with yeah. the tops, with the, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. With, with the top six of of Vancouver, with Pedersen, Miller, and then Brock Besser, and then Bo Horvat, Tanner Pearson, and Tyler Toffoli, I think they have the ability to maybe steal a game or, like you said, create some highlights. But I think when it comes to the long stretch of a, a five game series of sixty <clears throat> minutes each game, I think that the five on five play of the balanced Minnesota Wild team is, is going to be an advantage. No, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, um, you know, like you said in some of the comparisons earlier, take it with a grain of salt how the uh, the exhibition games went. But you look at how Minnesota played against Colorado. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, all the scoring in that game was done in the first period. Once the team settled in, like it was, you know, there was about one goal out of the second two periods, and that was the difference maker. You know, once those – you know, once Minnesota settles in against a the team, they're – they're rock solid. They're smart. They play well as a unit. They adapt well. Um, you know, they've got, they've got good leadership and, and they play well off of each other um, in that kind of rigid structured way that they do. Um, you know, I think that Markstrom is going to have his work cut out for him, you know, because they're going to be moving him around a lot. You know, they've got, they're good. They're good at setting up and, and moving the puck around and, and moving, uh, moving goaltenders around and just creating, you know, relatively easier goal scoring opportunities for themselves. Uh, you know, not necessarily high flying, creative highlight stuff, but just good solid hockey. Um, and I think, you know, you know, like you said, a guy like Pedersen uh, might uh, create some chaos. A guy like Quinn uh, Hughes might be able to, uh, you know, steal a game or two just on, you know, explosiveness. Um, but I, I don't, I don't see Vancouver making it out of that series. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, let's uh, let's wrap it up. The the last series we've got here is uh, number eight seed Calgary Flames going against the number nine seed Winnipeg Jets. 
And the story for the Jets all season long was just um, flying by the coattails of Colin Hellebuck, who is nominated for the Vesna, should be nominated for the Hart because he was the most valuable. I mean, the goalie should be the most valuable player every season, but Connor Hellebuck was absolutely lights out behind a atrocious Winnipeg Jets defense who was plagued by injuries and they had the Dustin Bufflin situation where he, you know, he for a variety of reasons is not with the team this season. So they're going to rely on him against a, uh, a relatively high octane offense of the Calgary Flames. Yeah, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think this is another one of those series though, where I don't know, you know, and I might be speaking big here, but I don't know how far either of these teams, no matter who wins, goes yeah. past this. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, they're, they're both they're both good teams. They're both, you know, obviously they're they're mid pack teams in the in the playoff structure here. Um, but you know, they're they're both missing players. You know, they're they're both in kind of a situation where, you know, it uh, this one kind of could go either way for me. You know, because Hellebuck has proven all season that he can win games. Um, but even, you know, he if he makes out of the series, he's not winning two series for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that goaltending matchup as well, you know, Calgary, Calgary's seen, uh, you know, their goaltenders put in some solid performances, but um, nothing, you know, season changing. And and I don't think that um, – I, I, I think Winnipeg makes it out of this one, honestly, purely on, mm-hmm. purely on Hellebuck, but I don't know that uh, um, they get much past that. Yeah, I, I, I guess I, I'll give a slight advantage to Calgary. I think they come out of it just because I think that Hellbuck's going to, you know, eventually run out. And, um, you know, besides him, they really don't have much. They have an, a nice top six when it comes to Line A and Wheeler and Shifley. Those are, those are some, some big, big key players. A lot of defensive help from that front end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the defense of, of the Flames, I think, is going to be able to kind of snuff it out. We talked about him, uh, you know, against Avalanche last year. You know, the Flames or the Jets don't really have a McKinnon who can just take over a game. So I think that when it comes to to TJ Brody and Mark Giordano, they don't have Travis Hamannick. He opted out um, of the bubble, so they won't have him this this playoff round. But I think eventually, you know, it's it's going to go the distance in my opinion because it is such a coin flip and actual eight versus nine matchup. But I think that the, the offense of the Flames is going to kind of win out. Yeah, I can see that. You know, I think uh, something I didn't even think about actually until just now just popped in my head is Winnipeg is going to lose their, you know, Winnipeg has such a big home ice advantage. You know, they're, mm. you know, they have an incredible, incredible crowd there when they have home games, especially during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, a factor, something to be considered. Um, not necessarily who has home ice advantage, but who's losing a good home ice advantage. And I think, you know, Winnipeg's a, that's a hard building to play in. You know, everybody says that. Um, you know, especially during the during the playoffs, you know they uh, they love that team over there and and they show it. So um, that'll that might you know take a little wind out of their sails as well. But I don't know. I think I think I'll split this one with you because I think that uh, I think Winnipeg might might have it. I haven't seen you know anything out of Calgary in recent memory. Um, you know, particularly in postseasons that uh, you know they 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 just as good as they are and uh, as, as young as their front end is and stuff like that, uh, they don't have that edge for me. Yeah. All right. I guess we'll disagree then, but uh, yeah, it, it is a coin flip and I agree. Neither of those teams really have a chance to make it very deep. So I guess we'll see. All right, Zach, that, uh, that wraps up the top 24 teams that made it through the playoffs. Um, I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate you stepping in. Is there anything you want to touch on before we get out of here? Yeah. Um, I touched on it a bit earlier. I think one interesting thing we're going to see here. Um, with this different situation for playoffs is the, you know, the idea of the bubble. 
you know, because at least for, you know, while we're, while we're still split up into conferences and then once, you know, everybody gets to, uh, to Edmonton for the, for the actual finals, um, you know, this is something we've not had before where the players are constantly around each other. You know, they're constantly intermingling and stuff like that. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, the, the edge isn't going to be there. The passion's not going to be there. I don't think it changes the games of hockey at all. But it is a different thing when you have to see a guy whose face you put into the glass at breakfast mm-hmm. the next morning. You know, it's, it's a different thing. You know, it might take uh, – and it could go either way. You know, we could see it take a little bit of bite out, not so much during the games, but things might not carry over game to game as much. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could go the other way and we could see, you know, maybe some chaos breaks out of the hotels. You know, you don't really know, but either way, it's it's a new dynamic and it's an interesting dynamic. And um, it definitely has to be something that the NHL is thinking about. You know, you can't mm-hmm. – we know how, let's say, out of hand the NHL playoffs can get sometimes between certain teams and, and players. Um, you know, so you have to factor that in when they're all staying with each other. You know, they're right. all around each other every day. You know, they're working out in the same gyms and they're, you know – um, you know, they're going to the same pool. They're, they're hanging out outside in the same places. They're, you know, all of that, um, you know, tensions might boil over or, or it might, it might calm things. So I think we're, we're going to see a unique environment for the playoffs this year, not just because of the structure uh, and, and the current world environment, but because of that, because, you know, you know, plenty, you know, most hockey players, even guys that don't necessarily like each other on the ice, you know, they get along off the ice. There's a camaraderie, there's a brotherhood to it. Um, so to have to encounter that day by day uh, while you're fighting tooth and nail and shedding blood, you know, over each other uh, uh, each night is going to be an interesting factor. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of playing minor hockey where you had a game at, you know, 12 o'clock and then everyone's riding the elevator at the same time because they have to get to the rink at the same time and you see the other team's bags the other teams, you know, clothing or whatever. And yeah, it's going to be really, it's such weird times. And I do, aside from the hockey itself, I'm curious to see how it changes the players, how they interact on the ice and off the ice as well. You're right. Maybe things could carry over between game to game. So it's, uh, it's going to be strange times. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a cool little bright light. It's cool that the NHL is doing, uh, so much uh in this situation and and doing as as well as they can to to get these guys back on the ice because you know it's it's not just um you know it's not just about us it's not just about the consumer uh you know these guys this is what they love to do and it's Mm -hmm. it's their job and and it's what they enjoy doing so so for them to be able to get back out there and play no matter what the situation is um is definitely interesting And, and it's great to see the lengths the nhl is going to you know it was going around twitter there for a while uh, people talking about, you know, who would have thought that the NHL would be handling this the best out of all the major sports leagues. And, <laughs> no. and it's entirely true. You know, the NHL kind of has a track record of being a bit of a mess, um, uh-huh. you know, usually to our benefit as fans. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's cool for them to be doing right by the players and, and to be giving them the, the environment. You know, I know multiple guys that played, you know, ACHA, NCAA hockey this year that were frustrated by the fact that, you know, their team – was strong all season. They didn't get to make their run into the playoffs. You know, for right. a lot of them, it's their senior year. They're losing that opportunity. Um, and you can only imagine how that's magnified at, at the national level in, you know, the, the best league in the, in the world. So, you know, these guys are hungry for it. And I think that we're going to see some, some really high octane stuff. Well, cool, man. I, I agree. This was a lot of fun. And um, 
appreciate you guys checking this out and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again, Zach. Oh, hopefully we can. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you later.